Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversation with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The all-new all ball, man. All hoops, all the time, and all stories, all the time. Uh, we, we have, if you're just downloading this one, because my guest uh, in this, and we're going to do a two-part deal with Andrew Bogut. If this is your first time downloading it, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy it. If you do, if you don't, doesn't matter. Um, uh, write a review. Uh, I'm told it benefits me financially more than anything. Like I like feedback. Also, you can tweet at me at Gottlieb show at Gottlieb show and uh, Doug Gottlieb show on Facebook as well. You can like it up. I'll, I'll put it out there. We're going to blast this thing out. Um, there are some great pods that we have done. And uh, Scott Brooks is a two part. One is amazing. Jay Billis is a two part one. It's amazing. Um, I just, I've, I've been kind of blown away. Max Hooper's story uh, going back to last week. Um, God, there's just, there's, there's so many, a uh, Tremaine Davis. If you haven't heard the Tremaine Davis one. Wow. A uh, Tremaine Davis was the honorary captain of the Super Bowl this year. And um, here's a kid who was in special ed until his senior year in high school because he was awarded the state at three. Uh, his parents were addicts. His grandma adopted him. Um, turns out he wasn't special needs at all. He did have a learning disability and, graduated San Diego State, helped turn that program around, and now is an educator and somebody who helps uh, get 
resources to kids like him who didn't previously have them. He grew up in the Bay Area. So that's Jermaine Davis. Again, I'm, I am pimping my own work, but I, I have a philosophy on this, and it comes from my time uh, when I was at ESPN, which people were always critical of ESPN for, for promoting the other ESPN stuff. But here's a thought. If you're not promoting yourself, how can you expect anyone else to, right? It's the same idea of confidence. If you don't believe in yourself, how can you expect anyone else to believe in yourself? I, I just I do want to give you uh, one quick thought on college basketball. And look, I have a personal goal to have on every coach who coach is going to coach in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if I'll get there. Uh, there's a couple of coaches who I'm on their shit list. So I don't know. Plus, like, it's a lot. Um, but we'll reach out to all of them. If they qualify, we're getting them on. And some teams that don't qualify, we're going we're to get them on as well. So I think all of these things are, are, are great. But more than anything, this pod is designed occasionally to talk about current events and current stuff, but, but also to, to basketball, like all these sports, like it's this big dysfunctional family. And when you see people or hear people, I want you to know what they're about. And I share my own stories within it. And uh, because a lot of these people, some of them I'm friends with, some of them I'm friendly with, uh, but we all kind of know it's the six degrees, it's like one degree of separation. Andrew Bogut's a perfect example. So, uh, and, I'll, and I'll get to kind of some thoughts on the moment in a second. Andrew Bogut was the number one pick in the NBA draft in 2005. In 2005, I just started working for ESPN. I covered the draft on radio uh, since 2002 and actually, oh, excuse me, 2003. Um, so it was my third year. I was in New York City and I was close with Ray Giacoletti uh, and that Gonzaga crew. And of course, he had come over from Cheney and coaching Eastern Washington. And so he invited me to hang out with them after the draft. And we ended up, God, I'm going to have to look and find out what the what the late like bar restaurant or something was dive at like three in the morning. And I remember hanging out with Andrew Bogut, like there's no, and a lot of guys are this way when they get drafted, they're still just kids and they're wide eyed and the nicest human beings on earth. And then all of a sudden you, know, you give them a hundred million dollars and some of them become assholes. It, it does happen. Uh, but Bogey was, Bogues was different, man. He was just, he was always what, 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 the saying in college basketball is an OKG, our kind of guy, like bogey's everybody's kind of guy, you know, he just is. And, and part of it is that's how Aussies are. I mean, I just, I have this thing where I've been around so much. I've seen, I've talked to so many different people from so many different parts of the country, the world. Um, Aussies are our type of people, man. They're like, they're, they're just straight up, no bullshit. Um, they're honest salesmen. They're flawed, but their their flaw is that they're just honest. They just say what they think, and they don't actually care, and they don't carry negative bias into anything that they're talking about. I just feel like, so maybe that's all the Aussies that I've come across. But I always think of these blokes as just the best. And I have people that have played in Australia, and those guys that have played in Australia uh, all say the exact same thing that they're just the best. Like, dude, if you could hang out with one group of people every day for the rest of your life and be Aussies because they just have a much chiller, cooler way of looking at the world than the rest of us. Um, the quick thought on, there's a bunch of stuff on college basketball. I got to get Justin Bean on here. I love this kid. Have you, have you, have you seen Utah state play? So Justin Bean is, he's originally from Oklahoma. His dad, uh, his dad played at Idaho state. I mean, the NCAA tournament, 
And I, I, I can't wait to tell his story on this pod or let him tell his story in this pod. It's pretty crazy. But I've, I'm like a total buyer into this Utah State team as not just a team that should make the NCAA tournament, but, but one that could win a couple of games in the NCAA tournament. And this is after losing Sam Merrill, who's arguably their greatest player ever, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, the big kid, Nemi Keita, is, I mean, he'll be a, I think he'll be a star in the NBA, but he'll definitely play in the NBA as um, he's not huge. He's probably only 6'9", but long arms, big hands, becoming a decent offensive player, but can block shots without fouling, uh, can roll and finish, got really good hands, huge, big, good hands catching and finishing. Um, they don't really play that much roll and replace ball or roll and throw it to the rim, but he, he obviously can. Um, but it's it's more, you know, they have a, a freshman point guard, Raleigh Worcester, who's from Missoula, Montana. Dude's a stud, stud. Uh, but they have this kid, Justin Bean, who has been there forever, and they're going to always be there forever because this year doesn't count. And, I mean, I've when you've played basketball, you've coached basketball, you've analyzed basketball, you realize there are guys that, and he scores, but there are guys that don't maybe don't score a point, but they dramatically affect winning, and that's Justin Bean. Um, I'm a buyer in Utah State. I like these Mountain West teams. I've covered a lot. I just think the more I watch, <laughs> the more I realize that, some of these West Coast teams, um, West Coast always feels like it's a little bit underrated, undervalued, right? Uh, it's always the East Coast bias. But I do think that this year it's a it's more of a real thing. And, and the real thing comes from this. Uh, the real thing comes from this year, especially, a lot of those teams couldn't travel. A lot of them couldn't practice early on. But we don't realize that I'm going to see USC tomorrow night uh, against Stanford. Like They each have a first-round draft pick on their team, right? A top 10 draft pick on their team. Um, I'm watching Oklahoma State, and you start to realize that the difference between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State is one team has the number one pick in the draft, and the other one's Oklahoma, right? And that those guys at this time of year become guys that can just take over games. It can win you a game. That's always been the case. And so if you have a pro to go along with a good team, I think it makes you a better team, especially you're playing together, than some of these other schools. Like some of these ACC schools do not have pros. They just don't. Um, the mid-majors are, there's a distinct drop-off in terms of talent in the mid-majors now. I mean, I'm talking about the Missouri Valley. I'm talking about the OVC. I'm talking about, and, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about it, but I'm just pointing out that, that players transferring up, like as good as Drake is and has been, Darren's done amazing job. One, he's lost his top two players to injury for the year, right? But they're going to get the benefit of all the wins they had earlier. And two, you know, his one NBA player is a center who transferred to Minnesota. Like guys are transferring up now. And I pointed out because those teams don't have pros and you will see it on the floor in the NCAA tournament. The team that has the pro at the end of the game is probably going to win the game because they're all teams are marginally different than one another. Anyway. Um, I just, I look, Boise has a pro in Derek Alston. Utah state has a pro in Nemi Keita. Um, uh, and, and I think obviously USC has one. I look around college basketball and I start to say, and, and I think maybe those underrated team undervalued team is going to be Oregon. Like Oregon's the type of team that is going to get some eight or nine seed. Cause they've had these weird losses, right? They didn't have their top three players and lost to Oregon state, for example. And you're going to go like, how good is Oregon really? Then you see them play like, Holy crap. They got players. So there is a, there's, I think there's more East coast bias this year. It's not because I live in the West Coast and broad coast. I've also done Big Ten games. And um, 
Uh, I think that conference is really good, but a lot of it is they had a high recidivist rate. They have older players. And the reason that the Illinois, for example, will close better and be better in the tournament is, well, they have Ayo DeSumo, who's going to be a pro, right? Um, I don't know about Kofi Coburn, like he'll play in the NBA, but what's his role? It's hard because he just doesn't move out on the floor all that well, but he is a monster, a monster. Uh, whereas, you know, like in Iowa, I think Wieskamp is an NBA player. And I think Garza plays in the, makes the NBA, but it's a hard, like, who does he guard? Anyway, I just, that's my just one minute kind of tangential rant on West Coast basketball. I think the Mountain West should get three teams in. Personally, I love this Colorado State team. They feel like the hardest fit. Um, but Colorado State, Utah State, San Diego State, Boise State, all really good clubs. Um, and San Diego State's going to get in by way of sweeping Boise. Boise should get in. Um, but now, But they swept Utah State, but Utah State, they didn't play them at Utah State, and they didn't have Raleigh Worcester. Uh, so, and I think Utah State should get in. And, you know, like I, I – I kind of think Colorado state's really good as well, but if, if they get less by the wayside, it's going to suck. But I, I've watched a bunch. I've seen all the leagues and I can tell you that the ACC, the idea of getting seven or eight teams in is kind of laughable considering how everyone in that league knows how down that league actually is yet this time of year, everybody kind of solidarity for our league. Let's get a bunch of teams in. Um, one other thought, like I, I, I think I'm in, as impressed by Cade Cunningham not scoring a ton as I did have him having 40 points on Saturday, right? On Monday, the entire focus was two on the ball, make him get the ball out of his hands. And what separates Cade Cunningham from so many of these other one and dones is one, I think he's completely, uh, com completely locked in on winning the game. Sometimes he's tried to do it by himself and it hasn't worked out great, but, but he is so ultra competitive and the type of leader he is at 19 years old is remarkable. Like I'm going to give you feedback because I will have seen almost all these top 10 kids play. I'm going to see Mobley tomorrow night. Um, but uh, I'm just blown away by the way that kid handles himself, the competitiveness. Uh, he guarded every position one through five last night. He played every position one through five. And even though his offense was limited at times, he had a couple big buckets down the stretch and he, willingly got rid of the ball when he was double teamed. I mean, there's, there's a special makeup in Cade Cunningham. All right, let's get to the pod. Andrew Bogut was the number one pick in the NBA draft, but his upbringing, what led him to be, um, there's some, there's some, I, I just, I'm going to warn you here. Okay. Um, I do obviously curse on this podcast a little bit and if it makes you uncomfortable. I apologize. I just, I try and make this thing as real and organic as possible. Um, Andrew and I talked an hour and a half and there's still about one, some hijinks at uh, Australian Institute of Sport. There's some Majera stories in here. There's some NBA stories in here. Uh, it's, it's really good. You'll really enjoy it. I just want to warn you, like if you're a, Hey, I'm going to play it. And there's kids in the car. There's some words and language, which I wouldn't want to be playing when my kids are in the car. I just wouldn't. Um, and that's, it's above and beyond the usual S-bombs, whatever, you know, but it, there's, there's a, like, look, it's some language stuff. So I'm only warning you because I don't want to edit it. I don't want to take away from the stories themselves. And I do think in this particular case, they do fit. It's just not dudes cursing in the dark just to sound cool. But I, I want to make sure I point that out. Um, all right. Without further ado, here's a uh, longtime NBA center. Now 
retired, we think, although teams continue to call him, from Australia, the man himself, Andrew Bogut. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Um, okay, so there's a lot to you. Right? There's a lot. So I want to start at the very beginning part. Okay. Where in Australia were you born? I was born in the city of Melbourne, Australia, in a small suburb called Mulgrave, Mulgrave Hospital. So grew up um, out in the outer suburbs, probably about an, almost an hour from the city. Okay. So what, like, apartment, house? Again, like, we, we all have 
you just have to understand, 99% of Americans haven't been to Australia. Of that 1% that have been there, they probably went to Sydney, maybe they visit Melbourne, you know, maybe they visit, but in terms of the idea of how you were raised, house, apartment, condo, big lot? Um, yeah, we were kind of in, I guess, the lower income areas um, growing up for the most part, uh, in a house, but kind of, you know, in the areas that are, were definitely not on anyone's bucket list by any means. Um, and then we kind of moved to the next suburb over, which was a new housing estate, still kind of near the bad suburbs, um, but was a new estate. And then that's kind of where I spent most of my childhood. So we, we were fortunate enough to have a have a you know four bedroom house, but I wouldn't say it was in an area that you'd aspire to try and get to one day. Right, right. It's like everybody tries to almost brag how poor it was, but you didn't grow up broke, but you didn't. It wasn't like you grew up, you know, and living in fantasy land. What is that? What is Melbourne known for? What is that suburb known for? It's like if you're an Aussie and you come to that area, what's it known for? Well, well, where I grew up was a working class area, so it was um, mainly people that were labourers, worked in warehouses, factories, ran their maybe their own small business. I mean, my father was a mechanic, so we had you know we had good years and bad years economically. Like we had a recession throughout that, where we were you know kind of poor for a couple of years, and then back to middle class, and then back down. Just that battle of a you know family of four. Um, the city of Melbourne's probably best known for. Uh, I would say food and coffee is kind of the, what, what it's known for. Uh, coffee, we're kind of coffee snobs down here. So we, we know a good coffee when we, when we have it. So that's why I struggled a little bit in America with, with finding good coffee. But yeah, food, food culture. Even in, even in San Francisco, you, you like the coffee? It was okay. Um, it was it was better than Oklahoma or you know somewhere in the middle of the US where you kind of could only find a Starbucks. But yeah, we're we're kind of we're a bit you know we're self-proclaimed coffee snobs. So yeah, you, we can definitely know a good brew. So I struggled at times to find a good coffee over there. I found a few places that um I could get good beans, but yeah, it's it's just a battle that we uh we have to go through when we leave Melbourne. Okay, so when you your coffee, Andrew Bogut's like dream coffee. You make it's like black, or do you have a specific coffee drink? Is it an espresso based drink? Like, what type of coffee snob are you? I mix it up. So, right now, I've gone through phases of straight espresso in the morning. I've gone through phases of macchiatos. I've gone through phases of right now, I'm back on lattes. Um, usually during the day when I'm in a warmer climate, I have an iced coffee. So, just coffee and milk with ice. So, I mix it up, I try to be um, multi dimensional. Uh, okay, so uh, your latte now of choice. How many shots in it? Shots of uh, coffee? Yeah. Just just one. I just go one shot, one shot of coffee. Um, I have two coffees a day, one when I wake up and one after lunch. No, but I mean, like, if you have a latte, a latte is a shot of espresso or two shots of espresso and then milk and then if you want flavoring in it. Okay, so then, like, are you doing – do you do, like, 2%? Do you do skim? Do you do almond? <laughs> do you do oat milk? Full cream, do you baby. Do, uh, none of that uh, soy full cream. None of that soy shit. No, no, full yeah, cream, like baby. That. So, um, yeah, full cream. Um, no, no sugars anymore. I'm off sugar, so I've been off sugar for a number of off years. Sugar. I, I'm not completely off it. Like I'll have it, you know, if it happens to be a piece of chocolate or whatever. But I just don't add coffee. I don't add uh, sugar to my coffee anymore. I used to be the opposite. I couldn't have coffee without yeah. a sugar because it was too bitter. But now I've kind of appreciated the taste. Yeah. yeah, that taste of just coffee without any sweetness to it. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, we used to have. Uh, when I, I played at Oklahoma State, we used to have uh, some coffee before the game. We started that because we had these 11 a.m. games for whatever reason uh, on Saturdays. 
And so me and one of my teammates, we started drinking coffee. And then when I was working at ESPN, it was cold. It was the first time I'd lived like in a really, well, I guess in Russia, we had, they had chai. chai? chai? So you just pound chai to stay warm, right? And sometimes espresso-based drinks as well, some cappuccino, whatever. But when I first started like with the Starbucks thing, I started with like caramel macchiatos. I was like, man, this is great. Then you, then you realize how much sugar is in them. You're like, oh. So then I dialed it back and like slowly weaned off kind of the sugar stuff. Next time you're stateside, you got to try Phil's. You like real cream, real coffee, and real sugar? Phil's. Where is that at? In the city? Uh, they have it. It's based in San Francisco, but they have it in LA. They have a couple in New York, I think. It's like yep. a small growing brand. It's pretty good. I mean, I do... I, I go on, I'm like you, I, I change drinks a lot and I change my coffee thing, but I, I'm a coffee stop, so I love it. Without any question. That's basically why I'm going to have as many Aussies on as possible. But I thought all Aussies, I thought all your guys' thing was like, let's go play some ball and then let's go get pissed. Let's, let's go drink. Be, like, so this, is coffee ahead of beer in Melbourne? Uh, for the working people, it probably is. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to, hard to have some beers and, and, and get to work and be motivated. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we definitely like to have have a few drinks at the end of the day. There's, there's no doubt about that. So uh, your dad's a mechanic. What kind of mechanic? What did he fix? He was a, he was a carburetor and fuel injection specialist. So he would um, basically uh, the equivalent of like a Jiffy Lube chain or, or whatever and all these other mechanics, they would know – how to fix a carburetor generally because it was it's kind of a specialist type job so they would um get the carburetor off my mum would go drive out to you know jiffy lube down the streets called she'd go drive down pick it up bring it back to my dad and he'd fully recondition and sometimes strip it down to, to the base and clean it all up paint it make it look good brand new mum drives it back they fit it and the customer's got a brand new carburetor so that was kind of what my dad did and kind of a dying trade to an extent now with fuel injection and obviously battery, um, you know, operated cars, but a lot of uh, drag races, a lot of people that have hotted up cars still need carburetors on them to, to function. So he, he still does it just kind of part-time for fun. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the way we made a living. Did, uh, did he have his own like hot rod, like under the, like that he always worked on at the house? Uh, he always had something. Yeah, he always had something. So that's kind of where my passion from cars came from because I used to have to go to the workshop with him a lot, especially on school holidays. You know, he couldn't afford a babysitter or, or have me stay at home all day. So I'd, I'd have to just get dragged along with my mum or dad. And my dad was a babysitter as he worked. Um, so, yeah, he, I just remember always him working on customers' hotted up cars and then he'd have a few every couple of years. He'd have a different one. So that was kind of where my passion for it all kind of came together. So... Um... When did your passion for basketball start? Uh, for me, I always oh, – it's a hard one. I love sport as a young fella. So, like, four, five, six, seven, always ball sports, you know, football, tennis, soccer, basketball. Um, and then the seriousness for basketball kind of started probably at about nine, nine or ten, where once it became organized and the enjoyment I got out of it, it was like, all oh, right, this is what I want to do. I really enjoy it. Uh, didn't really think about being a professional at that you know, no one really at nine or 10 years old is thinking about that. I just love playing the game. Watched it on TV whenever I could, was just immersed in it fully, um, was kind of all in and just kind of grew from there. And as I went through the ranks of high school and whatnot, started to get better and, and enjoy it more and never really thought about anything else, to be honest with you. Now, um, you were maybe part of that first generation and forgive me if I'm wrong, okay, but I remember you as one of the first generation of the AIS guys, the Australian Institute of Sport. 
right? And uh, Delhi obviously was a little bit later on. I remember when I first heard about Delhi's name, like, man, we played against this AIS guys came and toured. We played against this point guard. It's going to be unbelievable. And I remember the first time I met him. And so there's this lineage of guys. Um, your first, when did you first go to AIS? I, my first year was 2002. So I got a scholarship to go in 2002 and then went for half a year in 2003. And then, you know, in August was, was at the University of Utah. So I guess before me, you know, there was some still big, there was some big names. Luke Longley came through that program. Um, so there were, but then I guess once I'd come through, that snowball effect started of Della Dover and Joe Ingalls and Patty Mills and Aaron Baines and the list goes on, right? Um, and now most, most of the NBA players from Australia have had some sort of affiliation to the AS at some point in their career. What, how, did, how did they find out about you? How did you get the scholarship there? What's the actual process like? Well, I was really lucky because in Australia, it's a whole different system to America. We don't really play for our high school. So our competitive basketball is done on the weekends. Kind of, you play for your local kind of league. And then if you're really good in that suburb or area, you then represent that whole suburb against other suburbs on a Friday night, which is called rep basketball, representative basketball, which is kind of the equivalent to AAU. And then if you're really, really good, starting from under 16, you represent your whole state at the national championships. So, you know, there's, there's seven or eight teams that, that go to those national championships, sometimes a team from New Zealand as well. And that's where you generally get scouted for the AIS. The issue for me was I never made those teams. I never made those state teams. I was always cut uh, under 16. Under 16, I didn't get an invite. Under 18s, I got an invite and got I got emergency. So if someone got hurt, I got to go, uh, which was which was kind of a blessing in disguise because it motivated me more. I still got to train with those guys. And then by the end of it, by the time they took off to go, no one got hurt, obviously. I was kicking all their asses, but I was the emergency, so I couldn't go. And then um, the AIS would go to the national championships because, you know, logic says if, if you're going to see the best players, you go to the national championships to scout. Well, I wasn't there. So I thought, oh, I'm not going to get a chance for the AIS or the Australian junior um, national team camps and then I was playing so well here locally that they just got a whiff of my name and just kind of gave me like a wild card invite last minute the camp was in September I got the letter in like August to go up for the camp and then I went up there and the no one really knew who I was and that was kind of a good thing because I came and all these all these kids that have been in that national championships and that program for a number of years all kind of knew each other you knew who the household names were from each state People were like, who the hell is this dude? Like skinny, wiry dude. And I came in the first day of camp, kicked everyone's ass. And then they offered me a scholarship on the first day. At the end of the day, they, they brought me in and said, we want to bring you in. And like, that was a huge emotional moment for me because I was kind of always overlooked and felt like I, I never really got a, a really good chance to be part of part of teams and to get a scholarship somewhere where I could essentially have my bedroom next to a, a basketball gym was was paradise for me. What were your parents like in terms of um, you obviously at some point loved basketball and your dad's a mechanic and your mom's helping him out. And here you are saying, I love basketball. And no matter how good you thought you were and overlooked you were, a lot of people are like, oh, you're just emergency on the state team, right? You're not. What, what were they like in terms of their support of you? I love real supportive. I mean, look, with, with basketball, especially in Australia, like if your parents aren't supportive, you're not getting to the games because it's a lot of driving it's a lot of time in cars. I mean, most parents that deal with junior sports, like I said, America is a little bit different because high school takes care of a lot of it. Here's, here's much harder. It's, you've got to, your parents really have to drive you everywhere and you've got your training sessions every day. And 
So without them, you wouldn't be getting from point A to point B to even get there. Um, Dad, you know, modified the backyard at one point to put a basketball hoop in. I had a basketball hoop at, at his workshop as well. So he kind of, he always told people I was going to be a professional. Um, and you don't know really if he thought that because people, people don't know if he thought that just because he was my, my dad, it was just biased, but he knew how much time I spent out in the backyard. So he, he, he saw firsthand how much I love the game. And it got so bad that I'd, I'd be outside shooting in the rain, playing basketball in the rain. And then he actually put some floodlights up for me um, near the basketball court so I could actually shoot once it got dark. Because in Melbourne, winter, it gets dark at about 5 p.m. At, at night. Like, you know, so I'd be out there till 9, 9.30. Like, neighbours would be losing their shit, hating me because the ball was bouncing. And I'd just be out there shooting until my mum came and yelled at me to come back inside. And so he kind of knew, like, he saw how much I was invested in it. And that's all I thought about. And I, I think he always told people I was going to be a professional. And most people... Most other parents or friends would be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like this, you know, you're crazy. Every parent says that about their kid. But he was one of those people that was kind of really confident, probably more confident than I was at that point, you know. Do you remember calling them and telling them about the scholarship to AS? Oh, definitely. Yeah, emotional moment. Like I, like I said, um, yeah, just just with the journey that I went through, my, my, my whole journey wasn't smooth sailing. So that's what, what was cool about finally having that opportunity to, to be somewhere that's special. You know, there's only 12 kids a year that get that opportunity in the whole of Australia. Um, and then you're basically on that pathway to be as, as good as you want to be, essentially, whether you go to college, the NBL, the NBA, you're in kind of the box seat. Um, but the the, other, the flip side of the AIS is there's a lot of kids that think they've made it once they've made the AIS. So that's what I was always cognizant of. Like, make sure you use this opportunity to get even better. Don't just think like, Oh shit! I'm here now. I'm, I'm top twelve in Australia. You know. Yeah, but where I'm does that where does that come from, though? But where does that come from? Because, like, look, that's really natural, right? For guys that think they made it, yet you're telling yourself these things, like, to continue to motivate yourself. Is that is that your dad? Is that just your internal instinct of how you've always been? How, like, you're what seventeen at the time? You're seventeen. Yeah, you finally get the first yeah. opportunity, right? Great honor. Most dudes are like, I made it. You're not. Where does that come from? Well, I never had it. I never had it as a junior. So, like like I said, I never got invited. I was never in the cool, the cool group as a basketball junior. Like, I was never in the good teams. I bounced around to two different teams throughout my junior childhood, you know. Um, what were the teams called? So, I started with the Dandenong Rangers, which was my local club. Um, they, were a, they were a big, big stadium now. I think they've got something like 16 courts now in their gym, or 14 or 16 courts. So I was there for two or three years and then got put in like the third team. Um, so A, A, B, C, I got put in the C team and this is some bullshit. So I left and then went to <coughs> Waverly Falcons for a season and a half and then finished off at Sandringham. Um, and I talk about it on my podcast. Uh, I do my journey episodes where we go through all this and that Sandringham team was, was kind of a team of misfits, a team of... Um, I guess kids that were just shunned by society and it was a perfect, it was like the perfect, perfect fit for me. I was like, this is, this is me. Like, this is my yeah. group. Parents, uh, parents, of other teams hated us. Other teams hated us. We were one of the teams that had hardly any parents showing up to watch their own kids. It was one of those, one of those teams. Right. So like, I was like, this is me. This fits in perfectly. And, but yeah, back to your question, it was just like, I, I always was afraid of, losing the opportunity because I never had it. So I was like, once I got it, I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to fuck this up. Yeah. Is that where you, is that Waverly team? Is that where you developed your ability to screen, screen legally? Is that, is that where? Like, 
That was that was Rick Majerus, funnily enough, at Utah. Yeah, he used to. Uh, he was big on screening. If you if you didn't make contact on a screen, man, oh, you were you were running for the rest of that session. So I, I learned real I, early that if I set a screen, I better I, you better clap bodies, otherwise you're going to hear it from Rick. Was there any who else was up? Okay, so you're at AIS. You have who is your who's, do you have one roommate? You guys all is it one big dorm room? Like what is it? It's basically one kind of narrow building that has a spiral staircase through the middle. And on each landing, there's three rooms and everyone has their own little room. But the rooms weren't luxurious by any means. You basically walk into your room, you've got a, a skinny little bed. It's kind of like a balanced beam in gymnastics. So you, you don't want to turn too much or you're falling out of that thing. You got a small little study desk, you got a little heater and a little sink and a wardrobe and that's it. Um, the bathrooms are then shared on each level. There's one bathroom on each level. So basically all 12 of us are in one one, one kind of tall four level building essentially that's all wide open and it was quite, it was cool like you're just 16 17 years old you're, you're away from home you're living with your boys and you know we're, we're you know ha- having fun bantering getting in fights doing stupid shit like and that's part of the fun of going through that journey and to be honest with you like that was probably the, one of the most enjoyable phases of my career was just just going through all that and all the dumb shit that we did and got in trouble and you know, we were 16, 17s, and then girls came into play and all that kind of stuff. So um, it was a fun part of my life that I really, really enjoyed. Okay, give me the give me the stupidest shit that you mean. I'll, I'll share a stupid shit story, and then you can share a stupid shit story. Okay? So <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up going to a basketball camp called Snow Valley Basketball Camp. It's at Westmont College. Westmont is a – if there's a more affluent part of Santa Barbara, that's exactly what it is, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. It's right near where Oprah lives, right? So, uh, but this camp was, it's like the best fundamental camp around. You don't even have a basketball the first day and a half. So I used to, we used to go up there with a bunch of our buddies and I would do both sessions and I have a buddy named Adam Libby and Adam was, it was like four dudes in a room, you know, bunk beds. And so I'll never forget that you could pull out the middle slats that held up the top bunk and it would still stay up. And then somebody hop on the top bunk and they'd fall down the bottom bunk. So um, and then we do the, the, the icy hot in the jock strap and the undershorts of jock. Yeah, strap, we do whatever. that. Yeah. We, right. We do so, that. so, but on one particular night, like he got out of the shower and put on some underwear that we had put icy hot in. And then I had also pulled out the slat. So it was like a double whammy at once. And the camp director comes in and everybody's got like, it's like bed check. So the camp director comes in and check on us. He just put on these underwear. And he hops in the top bunk, falls through onto the bottom bunk, right? Now dudes are laughing and he's mad, he's pissed. Then he stands up and now his balls are <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, kick me out of camp. I'm like 12 and 13 at the time. All right, so just give me one hijinks, Andrew Bogut, uh, Australian Institute of Sport. Oh, we, we, had, we had a lot, like similar stories to those, right? Um, we have, this is a pretty disgusting one, but. That's okay. So, yeah. You know, at the AIS, I told this one on my, on my own part as well, but at the AIS, when you're under 18, you can't, you, you basically have to sign out whenever you leave the campus, the campus-like atmosphere when you're under 18. And when you're, when you're under 18, you can't really go out and party because you, you got to be back at 12.30 on a Saturday. And I think it was 10 o'clock on a weeknight. So the underage guys like myself, you, we couldn't really go party with the older guys. So the 18-year-olds we had on the team, they could go party, drink, go to clubs, whatever, right? So they go out one night and they come back at like, three or four in the morning come back to our block and they wake myself and a teammate of mine up 
who shall remain nameless. And um, so I, we have these kind of network phones. You can call, call each other's room just on those regular wired old school phones that kids these days probably don't know about. Yep. And um, I call him and I say, man, this is some bullshit. They came back at three in the morning. They're working us up. They're making a shitload of noise. They went to the top, top level room and they're partying in there, continuing on the partying. So I'm like, we're going to do something. So I had a bunch of firecrackers, right? So <clears throat> I said, I'm going to light a few of these and throw them under the door. So I throw a few under the door while they're in the room. Goes off, bang, 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 nothing. They don't react. So there's a teammate of mine who I know who I ended up playing with later on who'd be like, oh, it's just Bogues. Ignore him. Ignore him. He's just, this will piss him off if we ignore him, right? right. So I was pissed off. Dude, they ignored it. I got, no, I got no pushback, which is what I wanted, right? So I'm like, man, what can we do? So in that block, like everyone has their own room and, and the doors, no one really locked them because we had a main door at the front. So you, you just, if you went to someone else's room, you'd leave the door wide open. So one of my teammates that I'm with, he goes, oh, I told you about the sinks, right? Because I'm going to go, I'm going to go, shit, I'm gonna go shit in some, I'm going to go shit in someone's sink. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, do it, do it, do it. I'm gassing it up. Like, there's no way he's going to do it. Like, it's three in the morning. Like, how can you just shit on command? Like, do it, do it, do it, right? So he goes downstairs. There was a teammate of ours, and um, his door's just wide open. And he was kind of more uh, like, he had a bit of arrogance to him, but he was a quiet, kind of softer guy. He wasn't, wasn't really yeah. a fighter. So his door's the one that happens to be open, right? And it's on the bottom floor. So my friend, go, my teammate goes down there, jumps up on his sink, squats down. And I just hear it drop on the sink. And I'm just like, no, no way. He's really done it, right? So I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. So he yells at me like, hey, go get me some toilet paper from the bathroom. So I'm like, all right. So I run up and get some toilet paper. I bring it back and give it to him. Wipes his ass, puts it in the gu- puts the, the, the papers in the guy's bin, leaves the shit in the sink. So then we, we go back to bed, right? So I can't sleep with this. But I'm just sitting there in my bed. Like, I'm just waiting, there, just, just waiting like this. Like, what's going to happen? So then I hear, we hear the door open from the top, top landing. So we're like, okay. They're eventually going to bed. So then you hear everyone go down to their room. You hear everyone's door shut. And the other guy's on the bottom, so he gets there last. About three minutes later, you just hear, what the fuck? Oh, my God. Like, you know, just losing his, losing it. So then you just hear the click of everyone else's doors open up again. Like, what's going on? It was like this big thing. So a teammate, another teammate comes to my room, knocks on my door. He's like, I know it was you. You would do some shit like that. Why'd you do that? He was like ready. He was like ready to fight me, right? So I'm like, hey, if you want to fight, let's do it. So I'm just letting you know I didn't do it. Like I didn't wrap my teammate out, but I'm just like, I didn't do it. It was not me. But if you want to fight, we can go. Then it kind of calmed down. So the kid that got his sink shitted in, he picks up, <laughs> picks up the shit with his, finds a stick, walks out into the common area, throws it into the wall, right? So now this thing's stuck onto a wall and kind of like, kind of like you know, drip down the wall, right? So there's like just a shit streak on the wall. So then I guess in the morning, the coaches find it, coaches find out, the AIS finds out, they have to lock the block down, right? They have to call the, the local county or council. The dude came in, the ha- in a hazmat suit, like a full hazmat, like with the backpack and the ghost buses, right? They had to close the block down. I think we got kicked out for, I think it was eight to 10 hours. That's to like spray it all down, you know, because salmonella uh, and like people can get sick. So we basically inadvertently kicked ourselves out of our block for 10 hours. And it was like a big deal. Like the kid, my teammate got suspended for a week. But that's just, it's disgusting and stupid, but it's like just did, dumb did they Did they do contract tracing on the, on, the, on the ship? That's how they found yeah. out? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. They made us wear a mask for a couple of weeks. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's a disgusting one that some people will think is funny, some won't, but 
when you got a group of 16, 17, year old boys together, dumb shit ensues. No, no question. Uh, okay, so how'd you get to Utah? Um, long story, but there was a coach named Ken Shields, who was a Canadian basketball legend. He had his fingerprints on Steve Nash back in the day, and he could come out to Australia and, and um, saw me and was friends with Majerus and was like, you gotta, you got to come out and recruit this guy. And they, they got on me early, recruited me very, very early. Right when I got to the AIS, no one really knew about me. And then I, I just kind of stuck with them. And um, I was supposed to go over at the end of 2002, supposed to come over for Christmas and redshirt that, fo- that Christmas till following year and then start my freshman year. And then I got screwed with some transcripts. Um, the NCAA deemed me ineligible because I didn't have enough uh, science credits. I did a class called uh, Sports Studies in Australia. It was half social, half physical credits. And the NCAA, being the geniuses they are, said, uh, well, it's either one or the other. It can't be social. It can't be, you know, physical. It can't be social. It can't, can't be half-half. It's one or the other. So then whichever side I put those credits towards, I was short on the other side. So then I couldn't go over. Uh, Rick Majerus pretty much went nuts at that assistant that was recruiting me because he blamed him. Sent him on like a year recruiting trip. I didn't see him. Once I got to Utah, I saw him one day. <laughs> he was gone the whole year. He blamed him for it. But I eventually got over there the next year and, was it Judson or was it Donnie Daniels? No, it was a guy named Sylvie Dominguez. Um, oh, I know Sylvie. Yeah, I know Sylvie. Yeah, sure. so he, he was... And he's tiny. Like, Sylvie's yeah, like 5'2", 5'3". Yeah. Like, like, you and Sylvie together had to be the most bizarre combo ever. Well, I never met him. This, he, it was recruited from, from remotely, right? So he was kind of... It was him. Jeff Strom was involved as well, but then he yeah. moved on to, I believe, Marquette. And then Kerry Rupp. Career up came on later, but they passed it on to Sylvie, and then he was involved with just my kind of communication, sending me the letters. They just gave it to him to do all the admin type stuff. And then when the transcripts didn't, didn't pass by NCAA, Rick just blamed him. And the, like I said, I, I saw the guy, saw the guy, he came to one training session that whole freshman year of mine, <laughs> never saw him again. It's crazy. Uh, what, what was your first year like under Rick? It was real hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, he was, you know, may rest in peace. I preface it that way. And, and he was one of the best basketball minds I've ever played for. He, he was a genius basketball-wise. Like he, 30-point scorers we're playing against would not score 30 against us. If they did, they'd shoot 20%. Um, he, he was, he, we would never be underprepared. He was unbelievable as far as that went. Um, spacing, execution, time and score, unbelievable. <clears throat> but he was a coach that would make you question how much you like to get, love the game every day, every day. Not, not one, not one minute you spent with him. You wouldn't, you wouldn't question that. And I saw a lot of kids with a lot of talent quit completely transfer, hate life, hate basketball because it was, it was a mental battle daily. He'd just be, you know, he was hard, very, 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 very hard. He, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't be able to coach today with, with, with the way things are going. It would only take one person to sit in there and, record a training session with their phone and he'd be gone, you know, because um, he was, he was very, very hard and it, it kind of helped, helped me get to where, where I am. But at the same time, it, it was a struggle. You know, I was homesick, didn't know a person when I got off a plane in, in Utah and he, um, yeah, he was, he was tough. 
Did he, did he, were you there? Did he take the dump on the floor? Was that when you were there? Nah, that was, that was, yeah, that was, I think, years before me where he said, yeah, if you're going to play like shit, you'll train with shit. But I heard about that story. Uh, but he'd done, he used to do so much crazy, so much crazy stuff. Like, well, so, so here's the, here's the story I, I, I heard, and I won't tell you who I heard it from. But when, when he left, right? So I'll give you, he recruited me too when I transferred from Notre Dame to Oklahoma State. But, Mark Jackson didn't play with you your first year, right? Mark was your point guard. No, he quit. He quit. Yeah, right. he quit because he, yeah. he, he quit because, and again, I uh, I, Majerus called him the C-word, was the only name he would call him. He wouldn't call him Mark, right? He called everyone the C-word, but yeah, yep. But, 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 but Mark felt like that was, he wouldn't call him Mark, and he wouldn't call him Jackson. He would just call him the four-letter C-word. Yeah. Yeah. And so when Jacqueletti got the job, Mark came into his office and said, like, hey, coach, I'd, you know, I'd like to play. He's like, should we love to have you? He's like, I got one. Like, I just, I, I have one. It's not a request. Like, I just, one, basically one thing. He's like, what is it? What is it? He's like, will you promise to never call me a cunt? And he was like, done. Why would I ever call you? He's like, because that's the only thing that Rick would call me. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and Mark Jackson, what's crazy about it is, Mark Jackson is the epitome of a Majerus player. That dude was tough as shit. Like, diving on loose balls, had a three-point shot, new time and score, play, he'd do anything. You say, go run through that wall, he'd do it. And you're just like, dude, you're railing the one guy that's like the epitome of what you coach for and what you want out of your players. But he was, it was great to get him back. Um, but, yeah, like, that was daily, man. He, he, used, he used that word a lot. It was, you know, it was um, – you know, all kinds of stuff, man. Like, go back to Australia. Like, he'd be – your high school coaches were idiots. Who the hell coached you? They're morons. Like, every day, man, you're just like, <laughs> like, no let up. No let up at all. Um, I speak about it in – I just did a Utah portion of my journey for my freshman year on the Road Bows podcast. And I still remember we had high school coaches come to watch our practice one time. And he'd be cussing them out. Like, just watching our practice session and he'd be like, you know, excuse my language. I hope this isn't PG, but he'd be like, look at these cocksuckers up here watching my, my watching my practice. They're, they're writing down all my plays in their little notebooks. Defense and rebounding, that's what wins games. They don't know shit about execution. They don't know, and you're just like, these coaches are up there, guests. Yeah. <laughs> like, and they're just like, like, like what do we do? <laughs> what, what, what do we do? But that's how he was. He was just, you know, he'd be cussing out on the road. We'd have shoot-arounds. God forbid a janitor came in the arena bowl, like, that was up in the 50th row. He just somehow see him and just start lighting into him. Who is that motherfucker up there? Hey, what are you doing? You know, and you're just like, I'm the janitor. I'm just here to clean the, you know, leftover popcorn from last game and <laughs> just laying into people. But there are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant. Just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. So so the, the, the team that went to the final four, was that so he was, he was, he was recruiting me. So this is 90, 97. So spring of 97. No, yeah. Spring of 97. Yeah. Yeah. So 96, 97, he's recruiting me. And, um, I went to Notre Dame. I got in trouble after starting as a freshman. I sat out at a junior college in Southern California. And so he came and I would practice with the team, but not play. So I didn't lose a year. And he brought Jeff Judkins and I think Donnie Daniels. And I practiced for two hours and then we talked and then everybody left and then he closed the doors and they worked me out for like another hour and a half, just me. So like, yeah, you can play. Like, let's go get some need. So we go and they're playing UC Irvine and uh, we go and eat. And he was like telling me about how he's on a diet. He's really trying to watch. Meanwhile, like I got like a burger and fries and I look up and he's like eating all my fries and he's asking me about my burger. And so then he ordered the exact same burger I had. What I remember about him is obviously I remember like how he treated people was crazy. But I also remember like there was a, a level of discipline that I had just never seen before, ever, where he would say like, again, Van Horn was on the team then and Hanumetal and those guys. And he'd be like, 
Keith, two lines. And then you go back to coaching, and fucking Keith Van Horn touches, gets back behind the line, sprints down, and sprints back, and then gets back in the drill. You know, like some coaches, you're like, hey, go give me a lap or go run a line, and guys are, you yeah. know, whatever, because they're mad. Like, there was none of that shit. So it, it's crazy that I mean, he was, you know, borderline abusive, but it did work, and there was an incredible level of discipline. As a guy who, like, dude, look, you're a smart dude. You're a free thinker. You know, you're, you'll fuck around with anybody. How did you handle the discipline nature? Obviously, taking that you're away from home and all that stuff, but how did you handle somebody demanding all of these things of you, which I, I'm, I just wondered how you personally handled that? It was a battle at times. Like, it's just just because it was every day. That, that was a thing. You knew the moment he walked in the gym to the moment he left – it was balls to the wall. And I think that's where I think at times, maybe if just once a month, he gave some positive reinforcement, you'd be like, ah, oh, cool. Like, but that, that wasn't him. And the thing that shocked me most was like, I still remember a session, like probably I was in there for about a month or two and just railing into me, railing into everyone. And one session he was on me for like three hours straight. And then tell me everything, go back to Australia. Your coaches sucked, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then the moment the session ended, we walked off the court, literally 30 centimeters from the sideline. And he, it's like he was bipolar. Came up to me, put his arm around me. He said, hey, Bogut, you know, you know how, how are you? You need anything? Can I take you out to eat? You know, do you need any, any clothes? What do you, you know, you're just like, man, this guy was just railing me for three hours straight, like telling me I'm the worst, like worst recruit ever. He regrets recruiting me. And then that's just how he was. He would try to, overdo the off-court stuff because he knew down deep down like he was he was he wasn't towing the line he was way over the line at times right. he would try to fix that by going over the top off the court with making sure that you were good and look i think he had he had a good heart deep down but he was just he was an intense crazy dude and that's just um you know i i definitely got better under him and he taught me so much about especially the defensive end and and time and score was a big one that he told me about. Don't take that shot right now. We don't need that. Or, you know, I, I had no idea about that coming from Australia. Um, so he, he was definitely had, had his imprints on my, on kind of the way I played. I'm trying to think who the player was. Um, it's like David something or other. God dang it. And he, he uh, might've been David Jackson um, who transferred out of there. I know there's a lot of guys that, that transferred out of there, but um, so the Gonzaga guys, they told me, I think it was, I think it was David Jackson. I'm looking this up. Yes, David. Yes, David Jackson, Portland, Oregon. So David Jackson uh, in 90s, he was there in 96, 97, 97, 98. And he played a little less than half the game. And he had transferred to Oregon. So the story goes, he visited Gonzaga. And those guys, the Gonzaga guys are, they're like all of us, right? Like they're smart asses. They're really funny. And so they sit down to have, a meal on his recruiting visit. And they're like, uh, all right, we can't eat until you give us one Rick story. And he was like, right now? He's like, they're like, right now. We're not ordering any appetizers, no drinks, no nothing. One Rick story. So he goes, okay, the other day. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa you got a good one the other day? He's like, yes, the other day. So the story <laughs> goes, David Jackson, you know, he's a sophomore. He's playing like 15 minutes a game, super frustrated. Um, and he decides – all right, I'm going to, I want to maybe want to leave. And so before Christmas break, he goes in to see Rick and Rick's like, you know, just wait till after Christmas break and see how it goes, you know? So 
he comes back after Christmas, end of Christmas break. He's like, he knocks on the door and Rick answers the door in his hotel room in a towel. Right. So, cause the guy was always naked. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so, so he answered the door in his towel and he's like, Oh God, David, come on in. Come on in. I just, you know, got out of the shower, you know? So, uh, can I get you anything? You know, I got fridge full, whatever. He's like, no, 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 Rick, Rick, it's okay. It's like, listen, he's like, hemming and all. And listen, I, you know, it's really hard for me. And you believed in me, recruited me, played me some. And he looks up and Rick is like, out, out. So now he's sitting there going like, all right, like, do I wait till he wakes up? Do I like <laughs> nudge him? <laughs> He said, I just want to ask for my release, right? Man to man, face to face, race from a good family, all right? And he's going. So finally, he like wakes Rick up. And oh, 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 David, David, I'm, I'm so sorry. So sorry. He's like, yeah, Rick. Has. He's like, uh, yeah, you know, this, this medication I'm on, uh, just, uh, you know, makes me fall asleep. He's like, and he like peels back and he's like, got a big swollen ball. He's like, look what it's doing to my ball. <laughs> And David was like, Rick, uh, I want my release. I want to transfer. Tomorrow, I'm out. Like, he literally never talked to him ever again because he showed him his big swollen ball because of some medications. Oh, man, he used to, he used to wear shorts that were too small. That he would, whenever he'd sit down at practice, he'd sit down at the bottom of the basket stanchions. His nuts would be hanging out. Um, he came and recruited me. He actually came out for a visit to Australia for 48 hours. And we played in a, a rural city outside of Melbourne. So I drove back with my junior coach, him, carry her up in a car, two-hour drive, and the same thing with the sleeping. He, he would be like – he was railing me about the way I played because I played shit that game. You know, Bogut, you need to do this, you need to do that. And then he you just hear snoring mid-conversation. He just starts snoring, and I'm just like – I looked at my junior coach, looked at carry her up, and carry her up just gave me one of these ones like, oh, I don't know. And then – so I'm like, cool, long drive. I can kind of just look out the window and chill out for a bit. And then 15 minutes later – he'd wake up and continue the conversation from where he left it. So I was just like, man, this dude, like, there were red flags there already. Like, I should have, like, <laughs> I should have seen the red flags. But I was like, man, this dude is crazy. Then he, like, came to t- my team dinner with my mom and my dad. Was just saying reckless shit at the dinner table. My dad's, like, about to kill the dude. My dad's like, oh, I got I to keep it calm for my son. It's a great opportunity. Like, you know, one of those ones. He farted at the table. Like, it was just, the dude, like. Wait, he farted at the table? Yeah, like he, he was reckless. He didn't care, man. He did not. He did not care. And um, I had a I had a friend of mine who was a teammate of mine was from Compton, California. Who's that? Um, it was uh, I think it was was it Richard Cheney? Richard Cheney, I think it was. Yeah. Um, from, from that area, anyway. And he said that during the recruiting visit, you know, he was, you know, they put on a big feast, African American family, you know, and. Rick ate and then just went and fell asleep on their couch <laughs> during the recruiting visit with the parents. You're just like, what are you doing, man? So they're just like sitting around looking at each other like, what do we do? He's in LA. Right, same thing. Yeah. Sleep on the couch. Just like, no fucks given. Wakes up. All right, thanks for dinner and just, just leaves. <laughs> just like, a crazy dude, man. But there's so, the, the, beauty of, the beauty of people that have played for Rick Majerus, exactly what you just hit on, is when we catch up, it just these stories go on for hours. And it's just so funny because, you know, like I play with Kevin Lish, who played at University of St. Louis. So he's out here. He's a naturalized Aussie now, but American. Um, and he played for Majerus in St. Louis. So we would just, we'd go out to eat when I played with him two seasons ago. 
and just tell stories like this for hours. <laughs> you just lose track of time, and it's hilarious. So did it – so here's what I always tell. So I, my coach was a hard-ass, Coach Sutton, and, and, they were, and they were brutal to us. But I felt like it was like they would create this them against us intentionally. And it made us closer together. Like we were, yep. like to this day, we're super close. All the guys I play, there's like one dude who's out there we don't like associate with, but everybody else we're like super close with. Did, did it do that where it made you guys, because you all hated him, it made you, somehow there was like a genius coaching technique to it. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that was strategic by him, um, but yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> and I, I think that yeah, you're definitely right. Whenever you have a hard-ass coach, I think it does bring the playing group together. Even somewhat the assistants are probably even closer to the players than they should be because they know they have to like give a few more hugs and, and, you know, try to keep guys chins up because it's just so hard at times. But yeah, you definitely make a valid point. I think any, any hard ass coach, the players, if the players aren't together, well, at least you see it in professional sports a lot. Um, that coach doesn't last very long. All right. So Ray Giacoletti gets a job. What, what, what was, what was that like? It was interesting because at the time, I really wanted Kerry Rupp to get the, the job. He was the head assistant. He took over when Rick left my freshman year, halfway through the year, and did a pretty good job, and we all loved him. And then it, it kind of hurt when he didn't get it, to be honest, because we didn't know much about, about Ray, and he came from a smaller school, and guys were kind of like, what the hell? And then he came in with, with a lot of, you know, kind of methodical-type offense, a lot of back cuts, Princeton-type stuff, and a lot of guys kind of struggled to – you know, I guess buy into that. But then once they realized he was a good person, it was polar opposite of, of kind of what they've dealt with with Rick that, you know, he wasn't going to drop the C-bomb. He wasn't going to cuss you out all session. He'd fire up when he needed to. And for me, it was it was a godsend. You know, we, we got into it early. Um, we, had, we had a few run-ins early in his tenure. And once we ironed those out, it was never looking back. And he, he let me, he basically gave me the keys to the team and said, you're our guy. We're going as far as you take us. And it was a really good year for us. No, you had, you had a great year. Okay, so the year gets done. What's, what's the decision like in terms of pros coming back, et cetera? Well, the, the, the more my sophomore year went on, I went from late first round pick to before my sophomore year. That's where I was projected. I had a really good Olympics in 04, playing against the Dream Team in the U.S. and, and other countries and grown men essentially. So I was late first and then I was mid. And then by the end of the season, it was like, this guy's a top five pick. So I wasn't really ready to go to the NBA, to be honest with you, body-wise. Like I was still 225 that time, pounds. Back in an era where there was Shaq, Yao, Dwight Howard, you needed to be 250, 260 to even compete. I wasn't growing into my body yet. I couldn't put on weight for shit, no matter what I did. I ate burgers and pizza and fries. Like whatever I could do, couldn't put on weight. Um, it just took me a while to grow into my body. So I knew I wasn't ready physically, but I'd be an idiot to pass up a chance to go top five, come back for another year, get hurt, something happens. I was also advised the longer you stay in college, you might get nitpicked even more by scouts. They might start nitpicking little things in your game. So timing-wise, I had to go. And um, Ray was awesome about it. The, the school was awesome. And he was like, I'm not letting you come back even if you want to come back. You need to go to the NBA. You're ready. You're, you're kind of too good for college. We don't really have anyone that's going to make you get better you're going to be the top of the, the totem pole. So you need to go get your ass kicked for a couple of years to get better. And that was kind of the decision made. Uh, you mentioned the 04 Olympics. What, what, what's, if, if you close your eyes and you think of the defining 
things that you remember about representing your country, which is incredible, and playing at that level of basketball, what do you remember? Just the confidence it gave me coming back for my sophomore year um, because I, I played against grown men and held my own. Had some really good games there um, and, and it just made me finally realize like, I can play not only against grown men, but at, at an NBA level. Um, so then when I got back to college, I felt like I was playing with boys again. I felt like I was, I, I, w- I wouldn't say I was arrogantly above them, but I just felt like I was a man amongst boys. And I treated it that way just to kick everyone's ass week in, week out. Cause I felt like, Hey, I was just, I, I was giving it to Tim Duncan. I was, I was holding my own against Tim Duncan, one of the best bigs of all time. At, and I was 19 years old. So that gave me a huge confidence boost going into, into my sophomore year in college. What about the fact that you had gone from, you know, an emergency guy and not mm-hmm. making those teams to being on the Olympic? Like that had to that had to be pretty incredible. Yeah, in two years, essentially. That was a crazy yeah. thing. Like, I went from being a relative nobody in the basketball world and then from, you know, in a space of two and a half to three years, the number one pick. Like, it was – it just came together so quickly for me and I guess – and I fleet's mentality is next thing next thing next thing and that was my mentality it was like who's ass can i kick next where am i going who, who where can i go where i get my ass kicked a little bit i can get better and that was kind of always what i had in my mind as a young fella and it, 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 it i wasn't one of those kids that was a prodigy from 11 12 13 that you just knew that that kid lebron james Zion williamson that was he was going to be an nba player it was like where the hell did this kid come from like why don't we know about him number one pick you know and um i'm pretty proud of that yeah, I was, I don't know if you remember, we actually hung out at a bar, some random bar, super late <laughs> at night, draft night. You guys had, everybody had bogeyman hats on. Yeah. And, uh, and, and we, it was, it was a late, late, long night to, to go from that to the number one pick in the NBA. Did you know that the Bucks were taking you number one? No, nah, they wouldn't tell me. No, they wouldn't tell me. So they wanted to keep the element of surprise. So we, we, we kind of asked, um, we'll grill them. The agent was a little bit, but they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't show us a hand. What's that like? I was, it was amazing. Just, to, I mean, go through does that. It feel like process. it was, does it feel like it was 16 years ago, 16 years ago. Oh, it feels like a long time ago, but when you're in the midst of your NBA career, that goes quick. But yeah, just that draft process, having my family there, and like I said, just the journey that I had to take from a, from a, a young young fella to, to go the biggest stage and go number one. Like, uh, for me, playing like NBL basketball, playing professionally in Australia, if you would have told me at 12, 13, like someone's going to pay you and give you money to play basketball, yeah. done. Where do I sign? I never thought the NBA was – it was a fantasy. It was like – it was that fantasy TV show that you just knew, like, I'm, I'm never going to get there, but it'd be nice to get there. And then I got there and it was like, wow, I'm actually here. Okay. So you get there. Um, uh, when you got there, the, your first Bucks team was a weird mix, right? You had like TJ Ford was a was young point guard. Right? Yep. But then you had some old guys. You had like Tony Kukoc on your team as well. Yeah. Um, how were the old guys to you? They also had Irvin Johnson. So they basically brought Irvin yeah. Johnson back for a season basically to mentor me. And he was awesome to me. Like he was, he was basically – his role was like – take care of Bogues. So he, he'd sit on the bus near me when we go on road trips and give me the scouting report, going into the arenas, even after we land, get to Minnesota. Hey, I look Andy does this. Garnett's going to do this. You know, like, so he would, he was a really good mentor for me. Um, Tony Kukoc was, was an idol of mine as a kid. So it was kind of surreal to be 
my rookie year was his last year. But Tony was kind of burnt out at that point. He was kind of a, to an extent, an angry veteran. <laughs> where he'd, he'd been through all the bullshit of the NBA and was kind of like on a, on a knife's edge to just snapping every day. <laughs> but he was good fun, though. I mean, as long as Tony got his 18 holes of golf in, he was good. Um, so then we had Michael Red, obviously. Desmond Mason was there. So the roster was kind of all over the place, um, trying to piece it together. But it was an interesting transition for me. The first – now, was there a moment like a welcome to the NBA? Like, I think your first game was against Chris Webber, right? Like, your first NBA game was Allen Iverson. Yeah, I'm looking really, at yeah. Allen Iverson Chris, and Chris Webber. By the way, they had – Andre Godala, Kyle Korver, Chris Weber, Allen Iverson in their in their starting lineup. Do you do you remember that game at all? Yeah, I do. I do. I remember we we stole that game at the end. Uh, I don't think we, you know, we were, we were pretty close the whole game, and then then won that one, and then I think we went up to New Jersey and won another close one. But yeah, I mean, it was just surreal. I mean, I was a big I was a big Sacramento Kings fan today when they had, you know, that beautiful ball movement back in the early two thousands, and they were. You know, they were up there with almost being the Lakers. So I, I knew, you know, C-Webb, I watched a lot of his games and it was kind of surreal just to be out there and competing with those guys and, and actually having a good game to open up my rookie campaign. You know, it's interesting. Um, here's how I felt like when I played in Europe, when I've seen Aussies play, is that I think there's a respect for American basketball. Like, look, we respect how good those dudes are, but you don't, not you personally, but they don't love how Americans play, right? In that I always feel like the Aussies feel like they're a little bit tougher. They're more about team. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it, it's more, it, it's definitely five playing as one. Whereas kind of the American, especially the NBA basketball, it's end of shot clock. Hey, I'm just better than you. I'm going to jump up and make a shot. And so there's like a, there's like a respect, but maybe not is that, is that accurate or am I just sensing that? That especially, like, I don't think the Spaniards, the Lithuanians, the Italians, like, I don't, I don't think they like American style basketball, um, but especially the NBA and maybe the persona of it. As an Australian who's played there, played for the national teams and played in the NBA, is that a fair sense of how our game or the NBA style of game is viewed? Yeah, to an extent. Look, we, as a national team, just speaking for Australia, we know we're not going to out-talent the U.S. Like, it's just not going to happen. Most countries aren't going to out-talent them. So we have to rely on being together, having a good culture, moving the ball, playing the right way, setting good screens, all those small things that we generally know the U.S. team won't do. Because at the end of the day, like you said, the U.S. can just throw it to Kevin Durant or Steph Curry and be like, get us a bucket. You know, we, we don't have that luxury. We have, to, we have to be clinical with our execution. We have to box out. We have to get rebounds. We can't turn the ball over. So, yeah, there is an argument to that, but that's why the U.S. is so hard to beat. They can have a horrible game and and still beat you just based on talent. But um, as far as basketball purity, you obviously, for me personally, I like to watch the teams that move the ball and where everyone's involved. I'm, I'm kind of – I'm not a huge fan of, um, of isolation basketball from a viewing perspective. I like to see, you know, sneaky sets, you know, hitters – good ball movement, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, it is nice to see a guy like, you know, when Clay Thompson dropped 35, that just gets hot. That's great. Fantastic. But as far as just some guy dribbling 15, 20 times to get a shot up, I don't, I don't enjoy watching that. Some people do. I don't. No, I, I don't either. It's like I say this about James Harden all the time. He's a great basketball player. And I think he's better fantastic. with Brooklyn. Than, fantastic basketball player. I can't stand to watch him play. And I'm yeah. in no way indicting his talent. It's the way in which his talent – 
was used, especially in Houston. Oh, no doubt. And I totally agree. It's just not and, – and that's the way the game's going. It's become an ISO game and it's become, you know, shoot, if we shoot more threes than you, we're probably going to have a better chance of winning. And at times it's hard to watch and that might be the old man in me now. I'm that old that old cynical former athlete that now is – you know, it's not, it's not a case of shitty on the younger generation. I think each generation gets better than the previous one. But it's just the, the way the game is now, it's, it's just not as fun to watch. Okay, so you were in Milwaukee for like seven years, right? Um, did you know that they were thinking about moving? Uh, no, so they, they um, I asked to be moved. So <clears throat> 2000, and I'd gone through that injury run, kind of just, just got out of it. Um, walkout year, 2011-12, I come back. I asked, you know, the thing with Milwaukee was, we were revolving door for so many years. Like every year I'd come back and we'd have eight or nine or 10 new faces, new players. And I'm like, how are we going to build something? How are we going to build a culture? How are we going to build continuity? Like when you have that many new faces, it's just not going to work. We need to, you know, we're a small market team. We can't just, can't just go and sign free agents, you know, and, and make trades and try to hit home runs. And they kept trying to do that. And um, I went in and just said, look, I think, you know, I've, I've, I've played out what I can here. I think it's time to move on for both of us. And they said, no, nah, we're not moving you. We're not going to get more value back for, for a good center in the NBA. You know, you're, you're still very valuable to us. Um, and I think that was, you know, I led the league in blocks the season before. I was really coming to my own defensively and they just said no. And then two weeks later, Kyle Larry shoots a floater, tries to chase his own floater down, undercuts me. I break my ankle and was then out for the rest of the season. GM was in the hot seat at the time. Coach was in the hot seat at the time. They had to make a playoff push. And they thought, well, shit, Bose isn't going to play for the rest of the season. If we can get some value back, we'll move him. And I got traded for Monte Ellis, who then helped them get the eight seed in the playoffs. And I went to Golden State. Okay, so that's the end of part one of Andrew Bogut, which of course makes you have to listen to part two, which has warrior stuff, uh, warriors, Cavs stuff. Um, what happened in that series when they're up three games to one, what it was like to have to watch when they lost in the NBA finals. How do you balance that out with coming back from three games to one down to Oklahoma city in the exact same year? What it was like to leave golden state. What it was like to watch them win a title without him. What does he think of Kevin Durant? What does he think of Steph Curry? What does he think of all of these guys? What does he? What was the difference between Mark Jackson and Steve Kerr? All of this to come in part two. In the meantime, remember, you can listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show, 3 to 6 Eastern, 12 to 3 Pacific, every day on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, foxsportsradio.com, or you can download that podcast whenever you want. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, subscribe, uh, download, subscribe, rate, and write a review for All Ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.